and welcome back to another episode of the Realm of Unknown. So today is a special, I guess, special type of day. It is currently, uh, I believe at the time of recording this, uh, it is currently the transition into uh, fall time. I was about to say spring, but that would be utterly wrong. But it is now fall, and it is officially the autumn season, and I love it, and I absolutely adore it, especially being up here in the East Coast. And I want to make it more, you know, fun and enjoyable on the podcast, so there is going to be some new stuff that is coming out. I'm doing more stuff with other uh, podcasters, which I'm going to announce real quick soon. And yeah, there's a lot of things that I want to start doing. Um, Currently, I am still in the process of full-time job hunting. I currently work two part-time freelance positions and do this. And I want to, once I get that, manage my schedule to the point in which I'm able to do some more fun, interesting things for this podcast and for this brand, I guess. This is what essentially it is Uh, because there's a lot of really fun places around uh, Philadelphia and up here in PA and the surrounding states that really tie into the autumn season and also, you know, like the ghost stuff and the spooky things. And I would want to bring that more into this. Uh, Back when I did uh, YouTube for the YouTube channel of the same name, I did a, I forget when I actually went, I want to say it was in September. Uh, I went to Eastern State Penitentiary and I videotaped the whole thing. There's I think two episodes that are like an hour long each, and I just, it's just me exploring Eastern State for the first time, going on the tours, experiencing the location, and also randomly stumbling upon the fact that they have a flea market outside of the entire prison just all day long. So I that was a fun time, and I want to do more stuff like that. I'm not sure how that's going to translate to a more... Um, audio-based <laughs> platform, I would probably say that a lot of that content will be pushed over to the Patreon, which if you guys are not aware of yet, I have been pushing the Patreon for this uh, a little harder in the past few episodes, and that is Realm of Unknown on Patreon, and if you go there, there's a $1, 3 and $5 tier list that you guys can go and help support the podcast with some special prizes and rewards afterwards for doing so you can get some exclusive behind the scenes content uh exclusive mini series that i am currently working on and have been announcing some you get some future announcements for upcoming uh, episodes and discussions and topics as well as if in this one in particular you don't have to be a member in order to participate with a lot of the posts that i will make are not exclusive to you having to be like in a higher tier and stuff like that so if you want to go over there to check out maybe like the sources that i'm using for episodes how i'm getting my topics where i'm going to find the research you know or interesting articles that i might come across that you know might not withstand their own uh episode of the podcast i put those over on patreon so if you want to take part in that community we have two really awesome members right now uh within the past few weeks and yes so i'm trying to push that really hard but, yeah, so aside from that announcement and aside from that um, sort of direction that I'm trying to be aiming for, I have two quick little things. First, I want to, at the time of this coming out, it is not officially out yet, so bear with me. 
But if you guys are not aware of the really amazing podcast uh, by the name of Dead Time Stories, I what did I do for them recently? I sent in a listener stories for them before, and I like mentioned them and announced it. If you're following me on Twitter, I constantly retweet their stuff. Uh, they're really great. They're another Philadelphia-based paranormal slash true crime-based podcast. They're really great. They're awesome topics, fun energy, and just a really creative spin on the overall you know, approach to this sort of format and uh, subject matter, and they keep it very light and very uh, interesting pretty much every episode. So if you have not listened to them and you want to catch up before a special little thing that they run called Guestoberfest starting in October, you can follow them on pretty much any platform. I listen to them personally on uh, Apple Podcasts, and if you listen to them there, definitely give them a review. But you can pretty much find them, I believe, on Spotify. I've seen them also on PodCoin, but that's leaving. I think it's gone. Um, and Stitcher and stuff like that. So if you want to check them out, definitely do so. Again, they are really incredible, and they are Dead Time Stories with a Z, not an S. So it's Dead Time Stories. And yeah, so I will be part of a special little thing for their Guestoberfest uh, announcement. So stay tuned for that, and be sure to catch up on it in order to actually have context for what this is. So lastly, before we start, we've got a f- sort of a few promos to run, possibly two. Uh, right now, it's currently just one. So if there's a second one that runs, it's just because it came about after recording. So bear with me. But if you have been listening to the last week's episode of the podcast, then you are aware that I am running some promotions for the fabulous and, again, similarly, similarly <laughs> themed podcast, Twisted Philly, who is another, you know paranormal slash true crime and a little more like history uh oriented podcast that is again focused here in philadelphia and she is going to be taking part in a live show here in philly coming in october so if you are interested in you know the spooky or the strange or just love listening to podcasts and want something to do and go see then be sure to listen here for more information On Saturday, October 12th, you can catch Twisted Philly Podcast live with acclaimed paranormal podcast Hillbilly Horror Stories at the Philadelphia Ethical Society on Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia. The event begins around 6-ish. We'll start with a meet and greet. Jeremy Collins from Podcasts We Listen To will be joining us as MC. Then Jerry and Tracy from Hillbilly Horror Stories will take the stage. They're coming all the way up from Kentucky to visit the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection and meet Twisted Philly listeners. After Jerry and Tracy, I'll share some of my favorite Philadelphia haunted history, tales I haven't shared on the podcast, which will only be available at the live show. Jeremy will host an Ask Us Anything. You can even get on the mic with your own paranormal experiences if you'd like to share. There will be time to shop for merchandise, we'll have giveaways, I'll have some prizes. It's going to be a spooky good time, getting everyone in the mood for Halloween. Tickets are just $20 for two live podcast shows on one night. I've got a link for tickets on Twitter and Facebook, and there's also information on Instagram. You won't want to miss this. We're going to have a blast. If you prefer to head home a little early, we'll be wrapping up before 9.30, so it won't be a late night. Or if you're up for spending a little time in the city, you can join me and Jeremy, Jerry and Tracy for a night out after the show. 
Rittenhouse Square has some of the best bars and restaurants in the city, just blocks from the Ethical Society. We can't wait to see you on the 12th. Okie doke. So for some backstory for what we're going to be talking about today, who has heard of an amusement park and has gone to one and has realized that despite how fun these are supposed to be, that like when you peel the layers away, it is pretty, pretty creepy overall. Uh, I personally don't go on the rides when I go to amusement parks or theme parks of that sort. I have very crippling fears of heights and high speeds that in which I cannot control. So if I am in a ride, per se, like a roller coaster, I can't really have much control over what happens if something terrible happens. So that, that sort of stuff freaks me out, so I don't really enjoy it. I, if I'm aware of people, it's not as creepy, but overall, I would agree that um, the fact that amusement parks have this weird facade to them definitely makes them to, in my personal book, be on the more creepy end of the list. And that also does not stop them from having their own sort of horror stories involved. Uh, The one personally at the local, I believe the local ones at my beach location where my grandparents have a house that we would visit sometimes. I believe some of those have like creepy horror stories of people dying or people being killed on the rides. I don't know how credible those ones are. I haven't looked into them and I haven't even heard the stories about them since I was like in middle school. But, you know, that sort of reputation follows a lot of these parks. And one of those parks is what we're going to be talking about today. And it is an abandoned amusement park located in West Virginia here in the good old U.S. of A. So, at the time, its attractions have all become pretty much run down and the paths have become overgrown and it is just falling apart. And it actually holds the title of the scariest amusement park in the world. I don't know how true this is, but it has that title. It could ultimately just be one of those things where people just give it that title. But if you guys have some knowledge of the paranormal and haunted locations and you are like, get to the point, you probably have already figured out the fact that we are talking about the Shawnee Lake Amusement Park. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I believe I am, but if I'm not, cool. (laughs) Uh, So again, the Lake Shawnee location is actually located in Mercer County, West Virginia. It's a very short trip outside of Princeton, and the grounds in which the park stands has a rather complex and pretty bloody history to it. And I'm going to be talking about that first as I give some background to the location and potentially why it might be one of the most haunted locations and definitely one of the creepiest amusement parks out there. So this location has predominantly been used as a burial grounds for the native Shawnee tribe of the location. The archaeologists of today believe that there could be an estimated 3,000 bodies buried on the location. However, again, this is an estimate. I believe they have excavated around a dozen or two, and they're still working on it. Like, you can't really just dig up the whole place. Uh, I believe they found, like, artifacts and stuff to assume that this amount of bodies have been there. And this sort of relation to death so to speak uh, that the location holds doesn't really stop with the burial aspect from the natives and it sort of picks up once again as we get into the colonial era 
back in 1775, a family of settlers known as the Clays family, in which they had a father matriarch or patriarch, God, goodness. <laughs> the patriarchal figure was Michel Clay and his wife, Phoebe Belcher. And they had three children at the time of coming over, and that was Bartley, Tabitha, and Ezekiel. The family moved into the region and sort of just set up shop on top of the burial ground. They gave no care in the world to the fact that, hey, this is a sacred location to the local Shawnee people. They just sort of plopped down and put up a little settlement. And this didn't really bode well with the local tribe. So again, this angered the tribe who repeatedly warned the Clay family to remove themselves from the location. So they, they what comes later was not just sudden and unfair. Like They were given credible and fair warning several times by the tribe, asking them to leave and asking them to remove themselves from their sacred land. But the Clay family didn't care. They just stayed. And within August of 1783, it sort of hit a boiling point. So a group of tribesmen eventually got fed up with the matter and decided to handle it themselves. So while Mitchell, the father of the family, was out and was away from the homestead and away from his family, this group of Shawnee natives took vengeance into their own hands by targeting the Clay children. They quickly killed the youngest son, Bartley, while he was out working the fields. I believe he was chased down, but I could be wrong. And they proceeded to scalp his body after death. Tabitha was next, and she was stabbed to death by the group. And I know for a fact that she was chased. And the worst was for the eldest son, Ezekiel, who was not killed right away. He was actually chased out of the home and was captured. He was then brought out from away from the homestead and was later burned alive at the stake. So obviously this is horrible, but then, you know, the dad has to come home eventually, and he does. And Mitchell returns home to find out of the fate of his children. And now he has taken a vow of vengeance against the Shawnee people. It is just back and forth blood. And so Mitchell gathers a bunch of settlers and went around pretty much slaughtering as many Shawnee tribesmen as he could find uh, with this group of people. And the entire massacre of this location would pretty much just stain the land. And for a very, very long time, settlers pretty much refused to go anywhere near this location. They didn't want anything to do with it they did not want to set up shop they didn't want to be anywhere in relation to this dark history that was until 1926 when an entrepreneur by the name of conley t snido or snido came along and he eventually purchased all the land that had once was claimed by the clays and you know was the burial ground People aren't really 100% sure, though, if uh, Snido knows about the massacre at the time of purchasing the land. Regardless, though, his plan was to create an amusement park, the same amusement park that stands today. And his goal, essentially, for doing this endeavor and doing this commitment was to target the vastly growing coal mining industry and the flocks of families of these workers that were moving into the region. So he wanted to capitalize on that sort of market that really 
the location didn't have anyone to compete with. And it started out pretty small. It was, you know, pretty rudimentary for when it comes to attractions for an amusement park. They started off with a Ferris wheel and one of those rotating swing set type rides, as well as a swimming pool. So pretty top of the line entertainment. Although, again, this takes place like a few years just before the Depression. So I'm sure this sort of entertainment is like crazy insane for the people at the time. I'm sure it's not just seen as like, a oh, these are kid rides. I'm sure everyone's having fun. However, by the time the 1950s rolled in, this is after the Depression now, uh, things sort of moved towards the more traditional set of rides and attractions. You got some, you know, small roller coasters being built up. You've got some more little booths and guest areas and locations to buy stuff. And they put in a little pond. I don't, I don't know why. I don't know if that was even there. They're near a lake, so I don't know why they need a pond. They already had a pool, so I, I honestly don't know why that's added in, but it is, and it apparently is a thing that you need to know for the later half. However, this whole, you know, merriness that the amusement park is bringing, it doesn't really last that long, and the dark, you know, bloody history of the location seems to trudge itself back up, and another chain of horrific events, you know, plagues the park. So within the same years, this being the 1950s, the park would suffer its very first casualty, that being that, er, that being a young girl who was tragically killed by a truck. Now it's very odd how she died because she wasn't hit by the truck, but she was actually riding the swing set ride, the one that you, I believe it's similar to the ones that we've had today, in which you sit down in a swing and the ride spins you around and rotates you really fast. However, the ones we have today lift you up, and they bring you into the air so that you don't collide with anything. So, unfortunately for this young girl, the truck backed up into the path while she was riding the ride, and she went full force into the side of the truck and died. Several years later, in 1966, an 11-year-old boy would drown in the pond that we mentioned earlier that is located on the park. He drowned after getting his arm caught onto one of the drainage pipes that ran you know, through it. I don't know why he was in the pond to begin with, but he just was apparently. And worst of all, which is pretty sad for this story, he was actually considered missing at the time. So his family thought he ran off or he got lost in the park. They didn't discover his body until about a week later. Yeah, it's bad. They, they didn't discover his body for several days, eventually noticing that he was in the water. So that's when they found out. There are technically other deaths uh, related to the park, those two being the most highly profiled cases, you know, being that of children and being very gruesome in the way that it happened. But there are others. Uh, a man has been said to have jumped off the top of the Ferris wheel while riding it. And according to the current owner of the park, there are approximately six additional deaths that took place on the grounds while it was operating as an amusement park. I can't find super detailed information on that matter, so just bear with me. That's why I'm saying apparently or approximately, because I don't know. I don't know those ones for a fact, so... At minimum, there's two. At maximum, there are nine. I think I didn't did that math right. 
Yes. So there's a minimum two, maximum nine deaths related to the amusement park aspect of this location and the whole massacre that took place with the Clay's family and the Shawnee tribe. And then in addition to that, the 3,000 bodies that apparently are buried underneath the location. So if that, if you want to put this into context, that's what we're at at the moment. And uh, however, the drowning of this child in the lake was essentially the last straw for the location and the Shawnee Lake Amusement Park as it came to be known was promptly shut down again in 1966 the year the boy you know drowned this was up until 1985 when the park would remain pretty much abandoned up until this point uh, until a man by the name of and I kid you not Gaylord White I know people have this name, it's just funny. But Gaylord White now owns the location. He purchased the entire land, just as uh, Snido did before him. However, this time, uh, as he tried to revive the park, it didn't last. People knew too much about the history that it had, you know, with the amusement park. They knew about the deaths. It was more publicized. And the revival only lasted approximately three years. And again, it was promptly shut down at that point the location overall was later converted into a fishing lake and a campground area however the ruins of the park remain to this day and unsurprisingly stories and legends of spirits and ghosts have begun to plague the park because obviously you're gonna have a rundown decrepit like abandoned amusement park in the middle of the woods near a lake and you don't expect people to think like crazy stuff's going on. So that's the whole context. That's the whole backstory for this location. And uh, so, yeah, let's get into the ghosts. But real quick, I'm going to run a quick little break right now. If you're listening to this on Anchor and uh, other podcast platforms, you'll hear it uh, on YouTube. I don't know if it'll come through or not, but I'll be right back. And we will talk about the ghosts because there are a few and they're pretty rough, like... <laughs> Out of all the places I've researched into so far and talked about on the podcast, these ghosts are up there in, like, the top five of, like, this is a rough place. I don't know if I want to go visit. So, yeah, I'll, I'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okie doke, so we are back and I'm going to be talking about the ghosts and hauntings that are supposedly riddling this entire location. Now I want to put this into context in the fact that the park itself is closed most of the year. It's falling apart, like I said, and it's been abandoned for several, several years. So it's not safe for people just to venture in on their own because they don't want things to fall, they don't want people to get hurt. However, you should wait until the Halloween season in which the park holds their own tour services uh, specifically for the history and ghosts as well as I believe a haunted house Uh, or if you want to uh, get involved with some investigative group and get permission to go to the grounds. 
stay safe. Uh, understand that most of these claims come from either workers, people who have visited on these times, or uh, paranormal groups. So don't get the idea that you can just visit this place after hearing this story. I don't want to be liable for that sort of stuff. So again, be smart, be safe, understand that this place is literally falling apart. So without a further ado, on that happy note, let's talk about the ghosts that if you do happen to visit, in some capacity, legally, you might happen to run across. So this, again, like I said, this place pretty much checks the box when it comes to creepy department and reported spiritual phenomena. Some of the general reports that are associated with the location and with the park itself is the eerie feeling and sensation of being watched by someone in the distance, as well as being followed along while you are visiting the park. In addition, people claim to have the sudden sort of panic attack, essentially, and becoming overwhelmed with this sort of feeling of dread and unease and just these all these negative emotions that they were not experiencing a few seconds prior. People also feel the uh, sensation of a disembodied hand resting upon their shoulders. People also report being pushed or tapped by someone that is not there. Like, they know for a fact that they are by themselves at that moment, and someone pushes them over. Objects within the park are also reported to move on their own, and oftentimes at night. Sightings of shadowy shapes seem to, you know, again, plague the entire park, as oftentimes people see them, and this is terrifying, lurking among the rides. And all these rides, keep in mind, are abandoned, rusty and falling apart so the swing rides also creak back and forth when there is no wind or force applied to them people often will hover their hands over top of the swing and actually notice it it is moving and orbs of light and other just weird phenomena will be seen throughout the entire park and surrounding areas and this is the worst, like the worst, like I would hate this. I would leave immediately when I see this. Smaller shadows have been also reported and people believe them to be the size of children. And these apparitions have been reported to run around the park. They are reported to duck behind the rides and run along through the overgrowth of the bushes and grass that surrounds it. So they are literally children-sized shadows that are ducking and weaving and hiding and running around you. Like, that, that is literally horror movie material. Like, you, that is what is in horror movies. Like, like I, I don't want to see that. <laughs> I don't want to go there and see that stuff. And that's not, like, even the half of it. There's more. Native American spirits have also been reported to the location. Not surprising, you know... Because, again, this is a, what claims to be a sacred burial ground. And a lot of them were also killed here un- unjustly. They were oftentimes seen in the dark, however. So these particular spirits, the Native uh, American spirits, they're seen not so much up close to you. They are seen in the distance. They're seen in the darkness. And essentially what they're doing is they're just kind of watching. <laughs> like, they're far away that you can like they can watch you but they're close enough that you can actually notice them and that is 
terrifying. I hate that. I hate I hate that idea so much. <laughs> like just seeing like a bunch of Native American spirits looming in the darkness like just barely visible and like knowing that they see you oh god i don't want to go to this place (laughs) i want to go to a lot of these places but i don't want to go here a bunch of disembodied sounds is all are also reported within the park itself and again these are terrible this wonderful list however includes the following children's laughter when no one else is around you and when no one else should be around you whispers that always sound as though they are from behind you shouting (laughs) strange chanting uh people believe this to be tied to the native american spirits as the sound of drums is awful also often reported and good old screaming just plain out bloody murder screaming in an abandoned park in the woods at night photos of the park itself if in particular like people taking photos of the rides and people taking photos of the actual park location oftentimes will have the addition of shadowy figures and apparitions that are not there when the photo is taken they only appear on the photo afterwards or on the printouts after the development they're not there during the moment they're not seen by anyone they're only seen far prior which is evps uh if anyone who's not aware if you're listening to paranormal stuff you probably should be but if you're new to this evps uh stand for electronic voice phenomena and essentially this is voices that are not heard by the ear but are picked up by digital recorders and these are apparently pretty big here and i say apparently because i can't gain access to them they're oftentimes captured by paranormal groups and i'll be talking about one in particular uh, the Mountaineer Ghost, which is a paranormal group, uh, they lo- they investigated the location, and they got a few creepy noises. They knocked on the side of an abandoned trailer a few times while doing their recording and their investigation, and the sound of a man's voice was captured on one of their recorders saying, please leave. Another EVP was taken between the Ferris wheel on the location and the swing ride in which the little girl was killed. And these were taken, you know, by two friends that were there with the group. And one of the friends is heard saying no on the tape. You know, it's him. And that's followed by some mumbling uh, by the other person that's what he's with that's a little further from the recorder. And then there is a very, very clear, high-pitched voice that is captured on the recorder that says, won't talk. Now, many people, you know, because of where they are situated in the park... They believe that this is the voice of the little girl, potentially the one who was killed on the ride. At the exact same spot within the same group, another EVP was featured uh, with what people believe to be, again, another young girl saying either, I want to swing or I'm on a swing, which is really sad if she's on it right now and she died on the swing, like... Uh, so I keep mentioning this swing ride again we mentioned it in the background and we mentioned it with a few times with the EVPs and stuff there are a few very specific attractions and spots within the park itself that seem to be a bit more of like a hot spot when it comes to accounts and reports and specific spirits 
and the swing ride is pretty much the like the number one when it comes to these hot spots. Again, people claim to see that the swings themselves are moving on their own. In some cases, people also report them twisting themselves up on the chains, which is not fun. I've never seen a swing ever do that unless someone is inside the swing. So, ugh. It is also noted that with you standing in close proximity to the ride, uh, oftentimes people report the sensation of sudden coldness coming over them. The spirit of a girl dressed in a pink dress is also linked to the swing ride, and she calls this place home. This spirit is often cited and is reported to be that of the ghostly little girl in a pink dress, and the dress is covered in blood, which... So people, again, believe this to potentially be the girl that was killed on the ride back in the 50s. And according to the park's current owner of, I forget his name, it comes up later, I'll mention it. According to the current owner, the girl who died had indeed been wearing a pink dress. I don't know how he knows this, but he apparently claims that, again, though he is the owner, so maybe he's just sort of trying to stir up the story a bit more. But he has claimed to have seen the ghost himself on several occasions, and he claims that he was unable to move the moment that he locked eyes with her, which is, ugh, terrible. Another paranormal, like, pretty hotspot-heavy location, not as significant as the swings, um, is the Ferris wheel itself. Again, you know, EVPs were taken between the Ferris wheel and the swing ride, but the Ferris wheel in particular has that story of the man who potentially jumped off while riding it. So there are two spirits that are potentially linked to the Ferris wheel. One is the shadowy figure of a what people believe to be a man spotted sitting up in one of the carts, and it is more often than not always the cart that faces outwards if you're looking at the ride from one angle, it would be like the 9 o'clock, and from the other angle, it would be 3 o'clock. I don't know the location, so I can't give an actual reference as to which way it's facing, but it's on like the midway point, if that gives better context. He's always sitting up there. No one knows who it is or why he's there. He just happens to come there. Worst of all is the fact that another shadowy figure is also reported to be seen with the Ferris wheel, This one is reported to jump off the very top of the rusted, decrepit attraction and fall down to the ground, but vanish like moments before he hits the ground. And he's just seen doing this just over and over. I don't know if it's like an echo type thing. I don't want to see that either. Like All these things are just so nightmare inducing when it comes to this location. A haunted road, okay, that's scary and stuff, but you're like, it's a road, so it's not as scary, but there's just so many aspects. It's just like, oh my god, give me a break. And in my head, I, like, I'm just imagining all this stuff happening at once, which is not possible in a lot of ways when it comes to if anyone does paranormal hunting. So the concession stands are also known to be a sort of paranormal hub in a way these this location in particular is haunted by the apparitions of what appears to be again native american spirits and people think that they are the spirits of the shawnee people who were either killed or maybe these are the ancestors who were buried on the location 
And these particular spirits, unlike the ones that I mentioned earlier that sort of hide in the darkness, these ones just sort of walk about this location. They just sort of move back and forth when it comes to the concession stands. No one has a real reason as to why they do this or why this specific location. They just do and people see them. So I don't know why. No one knows why. And lastly, when it comes to hot spots, we have the pond that was mentioned earlier. So again, this pond is notorious for the fact that an 11-year-old boy drowned on the location. Again, though, this is supposedly another deeply haunted location to the park. However, the pond itself has mostly been drained nowadays, and it's basically more or less a pool of mud and water that is used sometimes by like catfishers and stuff like that. However, there have often been reports of a shadowy human-like figure which is moving about just below the surface of the murky water. In addition to these strange waves and ripples that sort of happen in the pond that are completely out of place, there's nothing there. People also report that if you enter the water, there are moments in which something will try to pull you under and hold you beneath the water. I didn't expect all this. And apparently others haven't either because the amusement park uh, is also notorious for being... (laughs) The host of a boatload of paranormal investigative TV shows and themed shows and stuff like that. It has lots of shows from pretty much several channels, including like Discovery, ABC, Travel Channel, National Geographic, I think was even there at one point. And some of these shows have their very own experiences that they did not expect while filming. So in 2005, the show Scariest Places on Earth filmed an episode at the park. Uh, I believe I have the episode note in my links. Uh, Yeah, so this is, if you want to check it out yourself, Season 3, Episode 8. Again, it's the show Scariest Places on Earth. And while filming, the crew pretty much flat-out refused to enter the location after dark. They would film and then leave, and they don't want to go back. And this is mainly due to the fact that they claimed that they heard chanting and drums when no one should be there, and they are the only ones on location. They also complained about the sensation, as mentioned earlier, of being overcome by a sense of gloom and just despair, and everyone was getting depressed. During another show, this one being titled Ghost Lab, uh, this is Season 2, Episode 5, is the one that covers the Lake Shawnee Amusement Park. During filming of this particular episode, one of the crew members became trapped inside one of the old ticket booths. Now, you might be saying, like, oh, you know, it's run down, it's falling apart. You know, it might make sense as to why he got locked in somehow. Maybe something just latched over. He couldn't get out, and there were no locks. There was nothing holding this door back. He physically could not open it from the inside until someone helped him get it out. Again, though, these last two were from shows, so take this with, like, I guess an extra grain or extra pinch of salt because, again, these are paranormal shows that entire purpose is to get major ratings, and if, you know, your crew's being haunted while filming, then that might help out a little bit. So bear with me. But yeah, so that's actually most of it. Um, I 
apologize if this weird talking format is a little different. I'm trying to talk more freely and edit a little less and just sort of make this a bit more raw. And this topic, I figured, would be one of the probably best ones to kick it off because, again, like I have a few that I've been researching. I have a few in the pipeline coming up, and I did not expect to have this much crazy stuff in this particular subject. So I thought it was a good way to start this off, and I want to start recording more in this sort of format of just free-flowing, reading my notes, and just talking. I don't like too much structure when it comes to more creative stuff, um, despite the fact that I went into graphic design and that has a lot of structure involved into it. I don't want to have that when it comes to my research stuff and when it comes to the history things that I, I look into. Because when it comes to that and when it comes to, like, I guess, how I do it, I like to be a bit more fluid. Uh, I have had several accounts in which I will look into something and then later on find out that things have changed or something is different. I don't like having that like firm structure of like, this is it, that's it. I just like to be a little more chill with it, so to speak. Um, just talk, just talk freely, have more of a conversation and just sort of read it off. If things change, things change. If things get disputed, things get disputed. And I will very happily accept that because I I don't know where I would fall when it comes to being a skeptic or a believer. I know people are kind of like, oh, you're either or, or you're one of those like in-betweens that say you are, but you're technically just a skeptic. I, I am open enough to believe the fact that hey I don't know that's like the easiest way I can say it I don't know I don't know if it's true I don't know if it's false I don't know I have to only base things off of my own experience and thoroughly in-depth research which is not as common as you would think when it comes to the paranormal field despite how long it's been around but that's how I see it, and that's how I am going to approach it, and that's how I want to keep my podcast structured. Because in the end of the day, as much as I love all of you guys, and I love the feedback that you give me, please don't feel bad if it's like a full-on critique. Again, I'm an artist, so I'm used to that sort of stuff. But I will be handling this in my own structure, and it's a little different. But at the same time, different can be fun. So if you still want to stick around uh, through all this rambling and you're somehow still at the end of this episode, <laughs> feel free to, you know, stick around and continue to support the podcast. Again, you can do so over on Patreon if you want to. Uh, again, there's a $1, 3 and $5 tier list. But again, you don't have to actually do it. You can just hang out in the community listen to some of the stuff that I post every now and then. I've been trying to be more consistent. Or you can check me out over on Twitter or Instagram at Realm of Unknown. I constantly post new stuff over there as well. A lot of them relate to the episodes, but some are different and some are new. I want to make one quick announcement because I forgot to mention it in the beginning of the episode. Unless I did and I completely and utterly am losing my mind because a half hour later I completely forgot. I'm going to be starting a special little mini-series for next October. Or, God, next October. This October, like three days from now, uh, by the time of this coming out. 
I am starting something that beforehand, which is really cheesy, I did over on YouTube and I called it Month of Myth, which was a series, because I posted on Tuesdays, a series that took up every single day of October. I posted a new video from October 1st to October 31st, and I think I also also posted my weekly stuff, so I had like 30 five episodes in total in a month which was insane and it killed me because of the the video editing aspect but i want to start that back up again because i had a fun time and it was fun to do all that research and i want to you know keep that tradition alive because i did it the first year that i started the channel the first year i started realm of unknown it was only four months after the fact that i did this you know spree and uh this is the first October that I have had Realm of Unknown as a podcast. I started in, in December uh, of last year on my birthday. And yeah, so <laughs> I want to start it back up again. So again, if I haven't mentioned it before in the beginning of the episode, I might even just cut this out and put this there. I don't know. But instead of being called Month of Myth, I'm calling it Fright Month uh, instead because it's not going to specifically target supernatural and cryptid stuff like i did over on the youtube channel i'm going to be and this month in particular or i guess this year in particular is going to have a topic and each year is going to when i do it if i do it we'll see uh, we'll see how good this goes but each year is going to have a specific subject and specific demographic in which i'm going to target and this year for fright month i am going to be targeting philadelphia because I love Philadelphia and I'm here, so it's easy to do. And it's also really fun with a lot of uh, subjects and locations that I am familiar with and some that I'm not familiar with that I would like to do some research for. Not all of the episodes are going to be long, like 40 to an hour long episodes, like my weekly stuff. But they will be quick. They'll, they'll be enough. They'll be anywhere from 20 to 40 episodes, or 40 episodes. 20 to 40 minutes long, and they're going to each have a specific subject and specific location that relates to the city of Philadelphia and the surrounding area that is potentially haunted. Uh, I have a full list already. I have several researched at the moment, and I will be recording a few of them in the coming days. So (laughs) bear with me. It's going to, again, be a little bit more raw, but you are going to get 31 episodes of this little mini-series and afterwards, come November, uh, the weekly uh, just realm of unknown type uh, podcast episodes will continue on Saturdays. But this is just a heads up announcement that for October, you are going to get day to day announcement episode type stuff. And if you don't want that, turn off notifications for my podcast in particular, because it's going to happen. I kind of want to bolster out my archive of episodes while also targeting a bunch of you know fun interesting locations (laughs) in the spirit of halloween uh so yeah i'm going to stop rambling and hopefully this cuts down a little shorter than how long i'm looking at right now again uh thank you for checking me out and listening to this long rant and interesting research into the lake shawnee amusement park again if you want to check us out and you know, have your own stories, your own stuff, uh, Realm of Unknown at Realm, uh, Twitter and Instagram or at gmail.com. 
And again, if you want to support the channel, you can do so by either sharing, reviewing on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, or checking out the pod, uh, the Patreon of the podcast, <laughs> and actually helping like financially in order to, which I hope to, be, I hope in the future to use to bring either to new locations or bring more guests on and do more like interactive stuff for you guys. That's pretty much my main goal when it comes to the the Patreon. I want to be able to give you guys more like real-time stuff, more interactive location stuff, more feedback from being at a location because I think that's where I really I don't want to say shine, but when I'm able to give my own feedback to a spot that I have personally been to or have experience from, I feel as though it's always a stronger episode and a, a stronger commentary on the location itself. But I'm, again, rambling. I keep saying that because I am. I will be wrapping this up, and I hope to see you guys very soon. If you're listening to this when this comes out in three days, again, Fright Month will begin on October 1st. So I will see you guys then. And remember, don't forget to check out the Dead Time Stories podcast, as well as the Twisted Phillies podcast from the promo read earlier in the podcast in the episode. So check them out. Again, incredible, incredible podcast and incredible hosts and just a fun time overall. So I'm going to wrap this up because I am just trailing this along. Thank you guys for checking this out, and I hope to see you guys very soon. But until then, remember to stay spooky.